What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray. This is a podcast about generational wealth, financial literacy, and of course, business. And before we get into today's guest, my man, Eric, who do you have for our Black Men Sunday Spotlight? Well, for my spotlight today, thank you so much for that, Corey. For my spotlight today, I have a young, well, not necessarily young, but a female by the name of Mary Ellen Pleasant. Now, Mary Ann Pleasant was a domestic worker in the 1850s back in California, and she was just actually had to be eavesdropping on her wealthy clients so that she can learn how to invest her money wisely. She later used this knowledge to build a real estate empire, which was worth over $30 million. Now, Pleasant put her investment profits to good use by purchasing businesses like laundries and boarding houses before building a real estate portfolio. Now, before long, she owned shares in other businesses like restaurants, dairies, and a bank. It is believed that her white male business partner helped her acquire numerous investments under his name uh, so that she would have to encounter as many issues as other aspiring black businesswomen of this era. So Pleasant soon uh, became one of the wealthiest women in America. She also tried to use her money um, for good first by supporting anti-slavery causes, and then later by fighting anti-racial discrimination. Now, when it came to stand up for what she believed in, she once famously said, I'd rather be a corpse than be a coward. That is my Black History Spotlight for today. My man, Eric, and we missed you last week. I appreciate you being back today, man. Happy Black Men Sunday, and bless you for that Black Men Sunday spotlight, because we needed that. But now on to our guest today. We got Marcus Smith. It's July. We got the heavy hitters today. We talking about a financial professional. This brother's a speaker. He's a leader. We talking about CEOs. He's a CEO and a founder of the Impact Financial Team. We're going to find out what that is, Tax Time Solutions, and he's the CEO of Impact Leadership Group. This brother is all about professional development where we're talking about advancement, you know, cause we're all about generational wealth. This brother is all about entrepreneurial leadership and he's about business ownership. My man, Marcus Smith, welcome to Black Men Sundays. How you doing brother? Hey, what's going on Corey? What's going on Eric and everybody out there? Uh, thank you for having me Corey. I'm excited about what this conversation is gonna bring just really looking forward to engaging on this Black Man Sunday. As you told me, these uh, Black men get together every Sunday to talk about these issues, so let's get to it. Yeah, that's right. This Black Man Sunday is with an S because we do this every Sunday, but let's get started. You know, we're in, we're going through an inflationary period um, and you're a financial professional. As Black men, you know, a lot of us have money, a lot of us have families, and we're having issues. Okay, should I buy some property? Should I save my money? Should I put that in the bank? Let's start right there. What's your advice to us, brothers, man? Oh man, yeah. Let's let's just jump right into it. So, my, here's what here's what I would have to say about that. And, and everybody's got to have their own journey. Uh, journey. So, I myself have owned a few properties over the years. I currently have one rental property. I just had a meet. As a matter of fact, when I finish up tonight, I'm gonna go meet with some other gen gentlemen in my area because it's never a bad time to own any property. Uh, because property, you know, the numbers could work out, you know, in your favor, depending on the location, depending on what you're trying to do. So real estate should always be something that uh, that we're trying to learn and have in our portfolio, no matter what, no matter what else you're doing, what investing or your 401ks, any of that stuff, you need to try to figure out what your what angle you may be involved with when it comes to real estate. You know, uh, a lot of a lot of guys, a few guys that I know, 
Uh, they may have their real estate license, but they may not be real estate agents, but they just have that license just so that they can get the information on what they need so they can find out stuff about different properties. So, hey, you asked me the question. Let me be specific. Yes, you should have it in a bank account. But remember, in a bank account, that's not your investment. Your bank account may just be your emergency fund. That's just maybe where your money is stashed or your sweep account. You know, And I don't know. Typically, I would think that the amount of money that a person would be comfortable having in their bank account or savings should be at least six to 10 months of their uh, living expenses, right? So if your living expenses are you know, $10,000 a month, you know, that means you should have like $60,000 saved up in, in the account, you know, just in case you may need that. But if that's, if, that's what, if that's the amount of money that you have saved up in your savings account, then the question starts to become, okay, how much should you be investing, right? So then you, you should have an investment account. And then I talked about the real estate. So a good portfolio, uh, when you're talking about building up generational wealth, you need to understand what's going to be your portfolio mix, what you're comfortable with, what, what are your goals, what are you trying to get to? You know, and, uh, and, and, I, and that's just very important because from where we've come from, not being able to have these types of conversations or norm, having these normal conversations, it's very important that that's what I really love about hearing about your Black Men Sundays, because just having average conversations and you've had a variety of people so we can gain all these different perspectives about what would be my portfolio mix. And if I'm not doing something right now, then maybe in the next few months I can start, I can learn and I can get more comfortable doing something. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Let's continue this conversation, man. And, you know, his brothers out here that have kids that have multiple kids there, you know, get their paycheck. They're a little tight, but they want to be able to buy a house, but it's really hard for them to save any money. So how would you guide those brothers? Because the brothers tell me, yeah, man, you know, your last three episodes, you're talking about buying homes, you're talking about have having 30% down, if you're going to rent it out, you know, having 10% down, but I don't have either one of those. So what avenue can these brothers who have children who have where their income is just being taken away from them? How can they get in the game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very important question. So how do you get started? You know, and if you, you know, so the first thing you have to do is figure out, okay, well, how much money do I have coming in? Like when I do my workshops, you know, uh, a lot of times I like to talk to people about just becoming more financially conscious, right? So what that means is become more financially aware of the ins and the outs. And so whatever amount that you have coming in, the, the first thing that you would, would like to try to do is to save 10%. I know a lot of times we go to church, uh, you know, and they say, well, save 10%, uh, tie 10%. But the first person or, you know, uh, household that I think you should take is your household, you know? Uh, so make sure that you are putting aside that 10%. And then what happens if you are putting, a, putting aside that 10% slowly over time, like it's two times, the, be, the best time to plant a tree is if you could have planted that tree 10 years ago or planting that tree right now, right? So if you're starting right now and your goal is to get a house, you may not be able to get a house in the next three months because it's like, man, money's kind of tight. But what you do is you start to plant those seeds, you become more financially conscious, become more financially aware, and then you just start to plant those seeds until, and then you just want your savings to go up. So it, it's, it's not, there's no magic pill, uh, but you have to start where you are. I think that's the most important thing. Become more conscious, start where you are, put together a budget, try to put together a budget. And I'm not, I'm not real strong myself on the actual black and white of a budget, but that's the reason why when I talk to my clients, we talk about, we use software, right? And we talk about concepts. So if you're, if you're, if you're saving your money, then that's going to be one of the things that you could do. 401k. I helped, I helped a client a couple of years back. She didn't have the savings necessarily, but what we did was we optimized her 401k or her job. 
She was able to take that savings from a 401k, use that as a down payment towards her first house. And once you get your first house and once you start to build up equity, right? And once you maybe start to learn a little bit about other types of ways of buying real estate, you just need that first house, right? So whether it's a 401k, your 403b, you're, you're in the military, I had my, my thrift savings plan. No matter what it is, understand what you have, how much you're making, understand the resources that you have available to you right now today, and then start to optimize them so that six months from now, you won't have to ask that same question. Hopefully that makes a little sense. You know, we got to tighten it up a little bit, figure out little ways to, to save. Maybe you don't, you know, eat out as much. Just figure out little ways to save. And then you watch your savings go up. So that six months from now, that's really the key. Six months from now, you want your savings to be increased so that when you're back on Black Man Sundays, it's like, oh man, that conversation, I did save more money. So now I got that 10% or I got 5%. You know, maybe I can figure out some other things that I could do. Oh, six months later, I got the 10%, get that first house. Mm, great advice. And like I said, we're getting right to the point. We're going to get to know you in a little bit, but we're going to take care of business up front. Like I said, this is Marcus Smith, a financial professional. This brother's the CEO and founder of Impact Financial Team. What is Impact Financial Team, brother? Yeah, so the, the, legit, the real name of the company is Impact Financial Group, LLC, here in Florida. And uh, but I, I have a team of other financial professionals that I rock with. So that's sort of the moniker, the impact financial team. And uh, what I've done over the years, I, I retired military last October uh, after 30 years of service in the Air Force. But I've always done taxes. I've always been uh, very interested in uh, personal and, uh, and business development. So I wanted. Uh, so when I started Impact Financial Group and, and Tax Time Solutions, I started them because I had my license. I wanted to help uh, communities with the uh, life insurance, wanted to help them with their investments. And so Impact Financial Group, hence I, I started adding other folks to my team. And then now we're out, you know, really just trying to make an impact, make a difference in the communities where we are. And, uh, and we want to help in particular black men. You know, a lot of my clients over the years, women are really, women are really better savers, you know, in general than black men. But black men, you know, we're, we're more on the, hey, let me go out here, let me hustle, let me see how I can get it. But we got to think about building that generational wealth and having multiple streams, not just multiple streams of income, which is sometimes what we focus on, but multiple streams of investing, multiple streams, multiple ways of building. And if we do those kind of things, we'll see that five, 10 years from now, as your, as your audience grows and as this whole movement starts to grow, you know, more and more black men will be in better positions for themselves and their families to build up the wealth. So Impact Financial Group, it was just my, my way of starting into this industry. Uh, it's a very lucrative industry and uh, just my way of, of doing what I can to, to help people with their everyday money situation. So Gotcha. All right, fellas, you see who we're dealing with today. Like I said, I'm bringing the heavy hitters in July. Any <laughs> questions? Let's go. So I, I got this question here from Robert. Yo-Yo, uh, what are three things men in their 30s should be doing right now to find financial freedom? uh yeah it's a great question robert i would say uh are you working 401k understanding your 401k would definitely be one of those things and if you're not working if you're self-employed then making sure that you have your revenue streams uh identified in your business plan that you're figuring those things out so that so that's kind of two things right uh understand how you're investing 401ks are good because if you're with a job and they're matching you don't want to give away that free money right so that could be one way, one of those cornerstones that you have in your financial plan. 
The other, the second one is, and I mentioned it, is understanding what your revenue model is, right? How you got your money coming in. You hear MSIs, multiple streams of income all the time. Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad talks about that. And there's a number of other different people that talk about that. But if your job is one of your primary sources of income, then understanding how to work with that, that income has got to be one of the second things towards your path towards financial freedom. And then the third thing, and it, and it probably doesn't get talked about a lot, but uh, I really like to use a life insurance, uh, uh, index universal life insurance kind of concept that could really help you become your own bank. Uh, life insurance is a good foundational thing to have as a part of your financial plan. And it's not just because of the death benefit, but if you have the right kind of life insurance, you really could use it so that it becomes life insurance while you're living for you and your family. And you can use it to become your, uh, your it's called an infinite banking concept. You may have heard of, uh, about it before, but uh, it's really, really a powerful thing to do. Not to, not only, also to mention that having life insurance, like if you have life insurance at your job, if you leave that job, you no longer have that life insurance. So understanding different kind of financial concepts. I just mentioned life insurance, but there's others, right? Uh, mutual funds. But I, I like to leave with life insurance because when I think about how the white man or how other societies have done it, life insurance was that primary vehicle that they used uh, in order to build up that generation wealth because grandpa had life insurance. I just talked to a guy yesterday, a couple of days ago, and he was talking about how uh, some of the people he's meeting with, they're bequeathing life insurance to the college, right? I graduated from Georgia Tech, so they're leaving their life insurance. So if you, so if you really truly think about that, that tells you how important life insurance is in order to build up generational wealth. So understand it and use it as a part of one of your cornerstones uh, to building up your financial independence. Good question, Corey. All right. So I read your background and uh, I was wondering, how were you able to leverage and utilize your military leadership experience into being a successful entrepreneur? Yeah, yeah. No, good question. Uh, so so for me, my journey, uh, and, and I, I kind of took a, uh, I would say, a meandering path in order to be where I am. And I'm still on that path. And, I'm, and hopefully most of you all are still on your path, too, still on your growth path, going to wherever the next level is. But for me, once I became an officer in the military, you know, and you start to get thrust into leadership positions and what I have always been about, even prior to uh, what I'm doing now, was I realized very on, early on, I had a part-time job working at H&R Block doing taxes uh, back when I was uh, early in my military years. And I realized early on that people just didn't really understand uh, how money worked or they were either, uh, they were on a hunt for a larger refund, but never really on the hunt for investing or really on the hunt to grow their money. So once I sort of became passionate about financial literacy and financial understanding, I just stuck with it. And, and, and then what that has done for me, so I have an electrical engineering degree and an MBA. So I have the typical, I would say, checkbox that I can go get a job with uh, any of the aerospace defense companies and things like that. But I just wanted to help families and individuals and particularly the black community because I just you know this is one book I read it's called uh, the memo and what he talked about is that our community didn't get the memo right and uh so it's not just like we're talking now there's nothing that prevents us from from talking on the subject or learning the knowledge investing and doing things but but collectively overall uh if our communities our culture didn't get the memo I just want to be a part of 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 helping with that. And so that's how I ended up being a financial advisor. 
And the entrepreneur stuff, you just start to, um, it just, it, it, it's a part of it because entrepreneur is, is, is definitely not an easy, easy thing to deal with. Uh, if you're used to just having a check coming in uh, on a month to month basis, but when you, but if you, if you hit the right entrepreneur stride and things work out well and, and the money's coming in, you just, you just keep going with it. Hopefully that, that answers your question, but as a, as a leader, helping troops running. I had, I was a squadron commander at one time. And so when you realize that you're an influencer, then, then with that comes great responsibility and business development and financial literacy. Those are two of my cornerstones. And I just really believe in that. So I just, just keep rolling with it. So, you know, the thing about, you know, when I talk to brothers on a daily basis, a lot of brothers, like I said, in our first question, they're like, okay, well, I'm renting. I have a lot of priorities. I don't have the money for that. But then on the other side, I have brothers that say, listen, I've got money just sitting in my account, you know, and they feel like with the inflation, they're just losing money in their bank account because they're not investing, they're not doing anything with it. So my man Rob asked in the chat, and I'm going to ask it is based on what I was asking, um, based on alternate forms of investing like crypto and NFTs. What are your thoughts on those? Yeah, I'm not really strong in those in those lanes right now. I have I have some crypto myself, but I'm really doing it as a form of uh, you know just investing like as a normal mutual fund, right? Uh, so so here's one key thing, concept wise related to investing that that I uh, really believe in, and it's called systematic investing or dollar cost averaging. Now you're all familiar with that term, I'm sure, right? Oh yeah. So yeah, and the reason why that's important is because a lot of times if we're trying to time the market uh that's not that's not really how the big boys do it right um and so when you're not in position when we don't have a lot of extra money and resources it's probably more important that we are doing systematic investing or dollar cost averaging uh, and let me segue to a story and i'm gonna come back to my main point uh in one of my workshops i talk about the parable of the talents that jesus talks about right and in that parable if you're familiar with it you know, you have you have three individuals, right? One with uh, what does it start off with? Well, five talents, two talents, and then one talent, right? And the the owner or the master of the of the house, you know, they receive their talents to start with based on their knowledge. So that means you can assume that the individual with the five talents is a little bit more wiser as far as investing or business uh, than the person with the one talent. But at the end of the, at the end of the parable, we're familiar with uh, uh, as he goes through the individual with the five double to ten, individual with the two double to four. But the individual with the one talent, the one who was the poorest, the least, right? He he had the the less knowledge, he, he had the less resources. What did he do? He buried that talent in the ground and didn't didn't invest and do anything with it. But then when the owner came back, or when the master of the house came back. Uh, the master said, man, he called him an idiot. He called him all kind of crazy names. And he said, at the very least, you could have put it in the bank and got interest on it, right? And when I do a workshop, I, I think that that parable is mentioned to us because I, it's mentioned from the standpoint of we're supposed to be better stewards or good stewards of our resources, of our God-given resources. The, the individual, the one, that's the one who really needed to invest the most, Right. So that your one can become two and then eventually your two become four. But a lot of times what we end up doing is we're trying to catch up with the one with the 10 talents or we're trying to catch up. And, and right now we have to start where we are. So that brings me back to my point about investing and understanding the resources that you have at hand. So 
systematic investing. If you think about your 401k at your job, or if you're self-employed, if you have a self-employed IRA or a solo 401k, those kind of things, if you're self-employed, it's important for you to have those. Or you could also have a life insurance policy that your money's being invested. It's important because if you're buying right now in an inflationary market or in a market that's going down like it is right now, if you're buying more mutual funds or more stocks, however you invest in, or even, even crypto, we think that crypto is going to be here for the long haul, right? So it's not a bad position to buy, to buy into it right now. Because if it's going to be here for the long haul, the way that our markets have already have always traditionally worked, of course, it could always go defunct crazy, but that's not how they've done over the last hundred years of market, right? Even after the Great Depression, I, I show clients, we look at a map and I show you, we look at all of the points where the market went down and then the market comes back up, right? The Depression, the market was down maybe seven, eight years. Uh, we had the Great Recession. President Obama came in and then he did some wonderful things. The market came back up. So it's a great time to get in during these types of recessions or depressions or, or when the market goes down. Because the reason why is because you're buy, your dollar goes a lot further when you're buying investments right now. Like if I was to sell you a house, wouldn't you want to buy a house as a foreclosure as opposed to going buying a house on market value, right? Because you're buying that house, your dollar goes a lot further. Tax deeds, right? You want to buy doing something like that because your dollar goes a lot further. And it's the same when you're talking about investing. So right now is a good time. So whatever it is that you believe in, even though I'm not, uh, I'm not a strong proponent of, of uh, cryptocurrency, NFTs, I'm seeing it just like all, all of us are seeing it. And so if it's going to be something that's here to stay, then it's probably something worthwhile learning uh, to invest in. Uh, but I know a lot about mutual funds and mutual funds and uh, the QQQs and the spiders and, uh, and even individual stocks, if that's your thing, if you're, if you're really strong in that. Uh, but I, I like mutual funds personally as a foundational piece because you could do, you really can do systematic investing and you could buy $100 every month, $500 every month. And then as that coffee drip continues, and when the market comes back up, if you're buying, by the time you bought all those shares in the down market, when it comes back up, then your, your wealth goes up uh, exponentially as opposed to linear. So uh, hopefully that, that answers the question. I know I kind of went a roundabout way in telling it, but systematic investing, or the other term you may hear is dollar cost averaging, is the, one of the best ways to invest to build generational wealth. Quick question is more tax related. Uh, I know a lot of young cats that are starting uh, businesses. You know, I help them get an LLC started, but they're not really understanding their taxes, when they should file taxes and how it could combine with their personal taxes. So if a person owns a single member LLC, can they combine their personal tax filings with the tax filing of the business? And what are the advantages of doing this? Is that, is, is that a, you set me up with that question? No, that's a great question. <laughs> yes. Uh, in particular, LLC has the benefits of flexibility, uh, just the way you mentioned, uh, Commissioner Scott, because if you're a single member LLC, that is now working very similar as a sole proprietor, but yet you still have the limited liability that the, LL, the uh, LLC offers you, right? It also could be an S corp and it also could be a C corp. But when you're, but when you're just starting off, you know, uh, and, th and that's the sweet spot for me as far as my tax business. Uh, when you're just starting off, you don't, your revenue's just getting started, you will file that LLC on a Schedule C on your tax return. And the benefit of that is because when you, if you have, you're still working at your job, you got your W-2, and realize that tax refund is just that, is a refund of the money that you may have already put into the system. So if you have your W-2 and it's you and your wife, 
uh, and you have money withheld against your W-2, when you do that Schedule C, and let's just say for the first year or two or three years, you're showing a loss because there's so many things that you get to write off on that Schedule C. You get to write off mileage, which is better than writing off uh, actual expenses. You get to write off cell phone, marketing. You get to write off all of these things on your Schedule C. And then when that loss applies to your, your 1040 on your, against your W-2 income, that allows that refund to be larger. So uh, that's one of the benefits of the LLC. And then as your LLC grows at a certain point, maybe you want it to be an escort, right? Maybe, you know, and you're gonna have several different LLCs that work as an escort. Maybe you want it to be a C-Corp because now you're getting employees. So that's the benefit of having an LLC. Not only does it give you that limited liability because it works, it, it, it is a separate entity within itself with the EIN, bank account, you know, all of those things. You get the benefit of writing off those expenses against your uh, regular taxes, your regular annual taxes, and then it can grow as your business grows. Yeah, I got one quick follow-up. Excellent information, thanks. How many years can a LLC, a single member LLC, file a loss before the IRS is like, is this a hobby or is this an actual business? Is there uh, a, a limit? Truthfully, there is no limit. Now, whether IRS looks at your taxes for audit or not, uh, you know, but there, there really is no limit. And if you're on the radar, but I, what I've heard is somewhere around maybe five years. But if your story is tight, if your paperwork is tight, like if I, I could show you some of the things when I do with my clients, put together a nice little binder for them, things are organized. You have a spreadsheet that matches up with your expenses for the year, maybe using uh, QuickBooks. And if that, and if that's actual, then the IRS in the audit situation, um, you know, they just look at everything. And, uh, and I've had uh, been through audit a few times uh, with clients. They look at everything and it matches up. They really can't say anything or you can't be in any trouble. As a matter of fact, they may, maybe there's a few expenses off or, but what they, end, they end up owing me more money uh, after an audit situation uh, because it was expenses that I did not even put down, but I had all of my American Express uh, statements. I had all of my statements right there in the folder. So they was looking through everything and they could see that the numbers matched up to my story. So bottom line is there really is no line in the sand limit. Uh, but if they're looking at you closely, that, I mean, they could really look at your taxes in the first year if, if you get crazy with, with a large write-off and it just doesn't really match up with the story. So uh, the, the best offense you have is to make sure that you have all of your documentation together, that your story matches up. And, uh, and then that's it. You go with that. Yeah, I appreciate your time, sir. Uh, what do you think is... Uh should be priority when it comes to financing as far as now is the time to invest and and i get it like it's the best it's the best thing to do with your money you know make your money make money for you but should debt elimination come before that or should investment come first wow good question yeah that's a great question uh i normally recommend a parallel approach to it right depend it really kind of depends on how much debt that you have uh, which credit scores are looking like and things like that. Uh, but you, you should, the bottom line is you should always be working on being debt-free. And if you're, if you're not investing quite yet, then, you know, that's why I, I recommend, recommend sort of a parallel approach. You know, maybe, you know, you apply more towards the debt, you analyze it. You look at the debt, you see what the interest rates are, uh, what kind of debt do you have, what your, how much income do you have coming in? 
But I'll tell you this, when it comes to investing, back to my statement about the best time to plant, plant a tree 20 years ago or right now, you will, you will see fairly quickly uh, if you are investing that as your money grows, there's a, uh, and I'm talking a little bit about a rule of 72, but as your money grows, at a certain point, you may be able to use some of that money to pay off the debt a little bit faster. But uh, I think, I personally recommend doing it in parallel because if you're not investing at all and you're just strictly focusing on the debt and then all of a sudden now all your debt is gone and then now you start investing, you're, you may be two or three years down the line. So uh, in order to build up generational wealth, I think that we have to do these kind of things in parallel because life works in parallel. Life is not a linear, you know, kind of thing. So uh, I, I agree with that, man. I, and I try to, you know, advise, you know, my family members in the same thing. But I just know that the debt interest rate is so much higher than a lot of the interest rate that we receive on our investments. So it's almost like if you don't try to, you know, put more money towards that to get rid of that, it's almost like, you know, you kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul because you you invest in and your money is growing, but also your debt is continuing to grow as well. So yeah, that's yeah, a great point. It. Yeah, so you got to have a strategy to pay the debt down, right? You you can't be paying minimum payments. You got to be paying more, and and then at the same time, I think that you should have a strategy. So I would say that to answer your question, maybe a little bit differently, paying off your debt is a higher priority than investing, but you gotta be investing, even if it's just a small amount to get started, because you, like right now, we may not have another market like this. So if somebody was getting into mutual funds right now, or if they if they optimize their 401k, 403b right now, this is a, a, a good time because the prices of those funds are gonna be lower right now. Two years from now, you may not have those same kind of prices, right? So, so again, not trying to time the market, but if you're applying a, consistent strategy, that consistent strategy on both sides of that, paying off your debt and investing, you know, should be leading you towards the path of financial independence. Yeah, Marcus, it's Rob, man. Thank you. Thank you for your time and coming on this afternoon. You made some great points already. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit more, uh, you know, as you talk about investing. Just for those who might not know, can you walk us through the process of what brokerage do you use? Because most of the brokerages today have zero commission, so it's pretty much free. Can you just give us a recommendation for a brokerage firm uh, for somebody who may not be uh, invested yet? And then some of the uh, mutual funds that you're in or some of the EFT ETFs that you're already in, um, that could be a good uh, recommendation uh, for anybody who's new to investing. Yeah, no, great question. So right now, I'm currently with uh, Transamerica Financial Advisors. That's who my brokerage house is. And, uh, and Robert, what I would say, and as it relates to your question, a lot of times um, we tend to think that the name matters. And while it may matter as far as the tools that an advisor like myself has access to, uh, but the investments, you know, and the rate of return on the investments is really sort of the key. So, and the investments, again, thinking big picture, you know, I like, uh, and I'm more of a I'm more of a mutual fund insurance uh, guy, not an individual stock kind of guy. Growth and income type mutual funds. And if you know anything about growth and income mutual funds, the average rate of return. And this is what I normally do in a workshop. I ask I ask the whole workshop. Can somebody look up the S and P 500 index 
rate of return since 1930 or something like that, right? And normally what they come back with is the average rate of return of the S&P 500 is about 10%. And that's going back since 1930, right? And then I say, hey, look up the S&P 500 since 1980, you know? And I kind of do three different time periods to look up the rate of return. And of course, the past, the past rate of return is not, it's not a guarantee of future rate of return as I stated before, but, but looking back at the past, especially when you're looking at and all my engineers that are in the room, when, you take, when you're doing statistics, and I say that I'm going to give you a stat that has been an average rate of return for the last 40, 50 years or 30 years or even 20 years, you know, then that's a pretty strong indicator. That's a pretty strong stat to, to depend on. Uh, so again, uh, when I'm working with uh, our clients as an advisor myself, we look through several different types of mutual funds. Uh, because I, I have access to, to any number of those. And then we just pick the ones based off a of rate of return um, that, you wanted, that you want to uh, invest in. And this is also important as I state this, because I, I tell a mutual fund testimony for myself when I was in high school. Uh, one of the reasons why I became a financial advisor, even before the H&R Block, was I bought a mutual fund. I took some savings bonds money. And I bought $250 of a mutual fund, a growth and income uh, mutual fund. And then that money grew to about $6,000 by the time I got to Georgia Tech, got to college. And that just showed me, uh, and my mom, my mom now, she works with me in, uh, on the Impact Financial team. And we talk about that. And she asked her, her piece, her uh, perspective to that story, because she didn't understand that either. That was just something that I was challenged to do uh, in high school. And I make that point because I, I want parents to consider buying mutual funds for their children as opposed to buying Christmas gifts, right? That, why not buy $250 worth of a mutual fund for, uh, for your kids, you know, and that's, and that's what you buy every year. Uh, my nieces and nephews, I used to buy them one share of stock. That was really like a novelty thing. But now uh, I'm getting their parents to, to buy mutual funds for them uh, as an investment. So I don't. I didn't answer your question specifically, but I kind of answered it from a big picture standpoint. Growth and income mutual funds are really good. Growth mutual funds are, are good. Um, you heard me talk about the index universal life insurance uh, policies. And if you really get someone to show you how that really works, because they have a floor on them where you don't lose money in the down market, but yet you can still get up to 15% rate of return uh, in, a, in a good market. So those are the kind of investments that, that I sort of uh, recommend to, to clients. And that's just based off of helping them look at several different options and then making a choice that they're, that they're comfortable with. And that's great information. Thank you so much. I think a lot of what you said too, you know, resonated with me as far as, so as far as uh, retirement, I know I'm getting personal as far as retirement, what do you suggest aside from, uh, just the traditional mutual funds, 401k investing, any other forms of income as far as real estate or anything like that, that you're looking forward to? Real estate is always a good thing to, to have and to be involved with. You know, uh, what I want to do myself personally next is get into uh, duplexes and maybe even hopefully build up to, to bigger uh, multifamily type properties. Uh, so real estate is always a good thing, but having that foundation is, is really key. Uh, a lot of times in our in the black community, we don't talk about long-term care and the importance of, of long-term care uh, and how that actually protects your wealth, you know. And, and again, that kind of goes to what I'm, I'm saying about the life insurance component, because it's so much more than just 
you know, leaving money when you die, leaving it for your family because it protects your estate. It can pay your estate taxes. Uh, life insurance and, and using it to become your own bank, you can go in, get that money, and it's tax-free. You can add money into a policy. So life insurance, uh, cash value on life insurance is really one of the last ways that you can drop a large sum of money in and then get it back out uh, tax-free. So, uh, so understanding those kind of components of your financial plan. So again, make it plain. Real estate and whatever that looks like for you, right? Uh, maybe tax deeds, maybe foreclosure, pre-foreclosures, uh, multifamily type real estate, maybe just single families. Uh, one of the guys who's coming tonight to our meeting uh, here in Brevard County, uh, he builds houses, right? And, uh, and a friend of mine, he, he's, he's got two houses built brand new on the land. And before you even close on the house, you already got equity in the house, right? So, so there's so many different angles to the real estate game. So if you're sitting down doing your portfolio mix back to that, you're going to have real estate. You're going to be looking at uh, your retirement planning because the mutual funds is really for have, having a nest egg for your retirement. And it's going to give you a better rate of return than what you have in a standard bank account, right? And then understanding the different types of insurance, life insurance, long-term care, because back to my point about how other cultures use that vehicle to build up generational wealth because it passes tax-free. And a lot of times it's like, oh, we, we, we're building up wealth for ourselves. But if we're going to build up generational wealth, then life insurance is going to be a, one of the key components to building up the generational wealth. In particular, if you're just starting and you don't have a lot of wealth right now, right? You can get a life insurance policy, maybe $200,000, you know, $60, $70 a month. And then, and then now, God forbid, but if something was happening, now your family gets that $200,000. And why that's important is because your income, and that's what one of the key components of life insurance is income replacement, is key to them still living their life, right? So those are the things that I, I, I think about when I think about financial independence, right? The real estate, the retirement planning, and the insurance, you know? And I, I have this little thing, I look at a house, you know, and I think building a financial plan is a lot like building a house. And you have the foundational pieces of that house, and then you get more and more sophisticated as you move up to the top floors of that house. Yes, sir. I appreciate that. No, all good stuff. What are some of your community service activities that you're involved in that promote financial literacy and how can listeners get involved? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, you know, there's an organization um, and now that the state of Florida has passed that law um, about financial literacy in the classroom, I, I do a lot of work with junior achievement, uh, financial literacy. Um, the, but the thing about junior achievement is their focus on elementary and high school kids, but it's a great organization uh, to be involved with uh, because they have the curriculum and you're just able to plug in and get engaged. And, and, then, uh, and then you're there with the students and they're always looking for volunteers. So I do, a, I do a lot of work with junior achievement, but also more personally, I would do a workshop, maybe about two or three months back, did a workshop with NAACP uh, as far as helping them do get people, we did we touched on a multitude of subjects, very similar to the kind of stuff we're talking about now. But every Sunday, uh, we did we did a different subject. So um, I think that one of the best things that we may be able to do as far as engagement is create kind of like what Corey uh, Sylvester's doing here. You know, you create a market, and then we just start inviting other people to get involved, and then as a part of the outreach. Maybe, uh, maybe Black Men Sundays can now start to do uh, some kind of outreach, or maybe all of us individually with our own, with our organizations in partnership, we can go and we could do an outreach 
type of event at a school or just, you know, or just invite families because let me slow down a minute. Let me, cause this is a very, very important point to me. There's this book and I'm, I'm real big on reading books. It's called uh, How the Poor Can Save Capitalism. And uh, it's, it's a very good book, you know, within this, and he kind of based it off this Martin Luther King book, Where Do We Go From Here? Community of Chaos. Really, really powerful book. He doesn't get enough credit for, for, what, he, uh, for what he put in the pages of that book. And that's Dr. King who I'm referring to. So what I want to say about that is the outreach is very, very important. And I think working with adults is more important than working with young folks, because just like all of us here right now as working professionals, you could take something I'm talking about, or we can get together and we can rock, and then we can actually implement some of these things, right? And then as the wealth grows up, then now that, that should reach out to your kids, your nieces and nephews, and then you'll be able to help you know, your other family members. So I think that if we do some kind of outreach, so create our own engagement uh, would really be my point. In addition to uh, organizations who may be doing things like this. I just had uh, at church today, there's a young lady. She has an organization called Little Growers. And what she did uh, was she had a grow your own, I forget the name of it, but it, it had to do with, it, it's sort of a metaphor plan off of grow your own food or eat what you eat, what you grow. But as a part of that, she was teaching entrepreneurship, right? So not only am I teaching you how to grow food, you know, in your garden and, and, and think about that thing, but I'm also going to teach you entrepreneurship so that way we can grow your business and your business can also provide meat for the table, right? So, uh, so yeah, that, that's, that's sort of what I, what I, what I have been doing. Uh, I get involved in the community here and I'll, you know, uh, work with Junior Achievement, but then in the next couple of months, we'll say, hey, Black Space Coast Black Chamber of Commerce, let's have a workshop, and then we'll start to do our own workshop. Yeah, I got a quick question. What's something that you wish somebody, you know, when you were, when you were in your 30s, your 20s, what is one thing that you wish somebody older would have taught you back then? Real estate, real estate and business. You know, like I have my aunts and uncles now, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a maverick in my own family which is good and bad, you know, uh, sort of breaking that, trying to break that cycle, uh, retired military, pension already coming in, you know, uh, that kind of a thing. But I still would like, I would have liked to have more because there's a fear involved with, you know, real estate and business. And the more you do it, then the, the lower that fear becomes, right? So if I had an uncle or mom or dad and they were involved in real estate, uh, then you can only imagine how much you would be able to build learning from, from what they would have taught you, right? So that's definitely would have to be the one thing that uh, I wish I had more exposure to was, was the real estate game at an early age. Yeah, and I tell you that real estate game is real. One of my brothers at work showed me his real estate check that he received from selling the property. Keep in mind, he sold it during the inflation. So he kept telling me, this is not normal, but you know his check was over 250. And that was after he paid the realtor and all. And I'm like, wow, he only paid 100000 for the property. So I'm just saying real estate, it is scary. It scared me a little bit, but you're right. Like when you step in those waters, you know, it's a lot of paperwork when you close. But once you step in those waters and you feel it, and then you sit in it for a little bit and then sell it, and you see the money you make, you're like, where can I get this kind of money in a four to five year span besides, you know, something else? But real estate is that key. So 
Um, let's transition a little bit because in the last few weeks, we've been talking residential, residential, residential. I want to talk a little bit on the business side because, you know, like I said, we've been talking residential to the point of buying a second home, brothers grouping their money together to buy a property for residential. But let's transition that to the brothers pooling their money together to buy a business. We know if you buy a residential, it's 30% if you're renting it out. But if we're buying a business property, uh, a lot of brothers tell me if you're going to buy a business property, buy a multi-business suite, similar to a multi-family unit. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I would have to agree. Um, you know, one of the deals that I'm hoping that the, the guys agree to tonight is sort of a, a business incubator kind of thing, right? Uh, because if, you, if you're going to pool your money together, you might as well go for something that could always sort of generate more income right so uh yeah i i, I mean I, I have no issues with that and, and and i think the hardest the hardest part is that sometimes we don't trust one another and and but that's because we maybe we're trying to base trust off of a fear or a knowledge as opposed to hey we you know being of like mind you know like me i'm 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 willing to you know nobody wants to lose money that's that's the first thing so nobody wants to lose money. You want your investment. But if, if I feel like I can make, as long as I feel like I can make some money and not lose, you know, and, I, and it's not going to take too many brain cells, then I'm willing to give it a shot, you know, but let's analyze it. Let's do our due diligence, you know, uh, and, and then let's get together. So I agree with you, uh, Corey, that, you know, if we want money to build generational wealth, business and real estate, those are two things where your money can be, I guess for the most part, unlimited, right? And and the real estate side of a commercial property, so now that's kind of a mixture of the two, uh, you know, it, it could just grow and grow. Okay, and let's stay on the business side of things. So let's say, because I've heard a lot of brothers I run into say, listen, man, I got my LLC last year. I got my LLC two years ago. I'm good to go. But then when I talk to them, I'm like, well, are you running your business no i'm not i just got the llc but i'm not doing anything with it so the question is even though you have an llc do you still have to pay taxes do you still have to submit some type of tax documentation even if you have the llc but you're not doing anything in the business no you don't have to but it may benefit you just going back to my original question then when i answered the question about how it could benefit you as far as your write-offs then uh, you may just want to take a look at that strategy and start to do something with the LLC. So then that way, you know, even if it's the first three years or so, you're able to get more money back on your taxes uh, in the short run and then use that to invest more into your business, then uh, it's, it's definitely a strategy worth considering. Uh, you're not necessarily required to do anything, but you do have to pay your state fees, Right. Once you file an LLC, you have to pay those annual required fees to whatever state the LLC is in. So you need to be mindful of that. And if you don't pay those fees, then your your business gets administratively dissolved. Uh, and I think the state of Florida is maybe is it one fifty somewhere around there that you pay annual as long as you pay it on time, something like that. So you, you may want to look into that, you know, and then if you have an LLC and you're not doing anything with it, you may want to think about that. Like if. If we want to be in business, then, you know, you will have, have put together your business plan or at least be thinking about your business plan and and then start to chip away at building whatever that business is. Because 
if that vision was placed on you at some point, whatever point in time that was, it may be worthwhile, you know, building it, you know, don't, maybe let's not just let it sit. My thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I just had to ask you that. Cause like I said, I see brothers on a regular that say, yeah, I have the LLC, but you know, funds aren't right. At the time I was feeling a certain way and, you know, I'm not really doing that right now. So I didn't know if there were some funds or any type of taxation that they had to worry about. So I'm glad you uh, touched on that. So that's letting yeah. my brothers know. So brothers out there now, you have the LLC, you're not doing nothing with it, then you might have to pay some money. And as simple as that, but got the LLC, get it done. Let's go. Yeah, I just put a website in there. This is a, a nonprofit organization in Orlando called the Black Venture Fund, and they do a business development boot camp, which is really phenomenal. So if you are if you are in that position and you want some help in developing, you know, building out your business, there are organizations maybe like the Black Venture Fund that you know you you, you join a boot camp. We're looking at starting one here at the Space Coast Black Chamber of Commerce. Uh, you know, when I was in the military, they had one called Boots to Business. And the whole point of those kind of uh, boot camps is to help you build out your business, build out your concept. So, uh, the, and other resources, I used to be the director of the Small Business Development Center, SBDC, and they have a big one there in Orlando at the uh, Entrepreneur Center over in the mall. Uh, so, SCORE, uh, SBDC, those are organizations that are government funded and they're free that can help you build your business out. If a nonprofit organization brings in less than 50000 per year, are they required to file taxes? Yes. Yeah. The IRS, the IRS changed that rule maybe about a year or two ago, and you still have to file the 990. They used to not let you file it, but uh, so I've, I've had helped quite a few nonprofits just do this simple nine, Form 990 so that way they're good um, on paper with the IRS. But yes, you do have to file. Thank you, Marcus Smith, for pulling up on Black Men's Sundays. We appreciate your gems. We appreciate your knowledge. We appreciate your information. Like I tell all our guests, you could be anywhere in the world. You spend some time on a Sunday afternoon with Black Men Sundays. So thanks for pulling up. I hope you had a good time. Yeah, this was excellent. Thank you. I appreciate this, Corey. Check.